Kendall, long time no see. What's what's popping, my man? Hey, man. Good to talk to you again. Glad to be back in town after a long journey. What you been up to? Yeah, long, long trip to Chicago in that van with all those kids, and I'm surprised you're not on suicide watch. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. It was a challenge, but it wasn't that bad. We uh, we had a good time. We made a lot of uh, stops along the way. Uh, we hit North Florida, went to St. Augustine, spent some time in Georgia, Tennessee, obviously Chicago, uh, which is always a good a good trip. But it was a long one, seven people in a van uh, over the course of the last week and a half. It it, it had had its peaks and valleys, I guess. Figuratively, figuratively and probably literally. Um, yeah. <laughs> kind of sucks i wanted to link up with you since i'm only about four hours away that didn't uh maybe next time in three years um but uh while you were gone lots of things happened signings i don't say lots and lots of things happen but enough where we have some business to tend to here i'm glad i'm glad there were some happenings in the hockey world to uh give us something to chat about well what do you want to start off with because you sent me some texts while i was on my trip uh, I tried to stay away from a lot of news. I tried to actually take a vacation and spend, you know, the time with my family. That's the way it's supposed to be done, I suppose. Um, but you kept me informed and uh, let me know what was going on. A couple of things I was impressed with, a couple of things I was baffled by. Uh, probably one of the most important signings, in my opinion, would have been Mike Hoffman key contributor to the Senators, they had to get that deal done. We we spoke about that a while back, and the Sens and Hoffman's camp came together and signed a four-year, $20 million contract. What, you, what do you think about the, the terms of I the mean, deal? I mean, he's got a small sample size. On a lot of teams, I would be semi-skeptical of this deal, kind of like the Riley Smith deal. I see it very similar. Uh, but for a team that has an internal cap like Ottawa, I'm really not that concerned because they're not spending to the cap and like, fucking themselves like if they really need to go out and get a player Melnick has shown in the past that he's willing to give the okay hence why the Dion Phaneuf trade happened because it significantly significantly changed their cap landscape when they made that deal and a lot of people didn't think that Melnick would go for it so they still have room it's not debilitating and he could easily he could he could outperform that contract in a couple years no problem you just there's such a small sample size you don't really you can't bank on it happening and uh if you look at some of his analytics numbers, he's a great individual player. Like his goal scoring and individual production is great. Um, you know, if he if he stays playing with a player like Tourist, then that's great. You know, Tourist can drive the possession and Hoffman puts the puck in the net and you got a great combo. Done deal. Yeah. He and, and Tourist and Stone are, you know, obviously uh some of the better possession players on offense and point producers in general. I, I like the deal, man. I do. I think if they had gone to that, you know, six plus year term that we've seen a lot of teams, you know, decide on, then it becomes a little questionable. I mean, he's he's twenty six. He he took the alternative route to the NHL and took a little time to uh, to grow and mature at the NHL level. But since he's come in, I mean, he's been one of the hottest shooters in the league. And he sits seventh best in points per sixty, seventh best in goals per sixty, twenty ninth overall in shots per sixty. That puts him ahead of guys like Philip Forsberg and Jaden Schwartz, who signed, you know, somewhat comparable deals uh, recently. So, you know, five million dollars for a guy that 
scores at a 30 30 goal clip so far in his career i think it's great and especially for ottawa because they they need <laughs> they need someone to put the puck in the net and i don't think five million dollars or 5.2 however you want to slice it over the next four years is too much to pay and you, you got to consider too his his time with uh cameron is going to be a lot different from his time with Guy Boucher. I mean, they've they've clicked in the past in juniors, and Cameron, you know, he got highly criticized for his usage of Mike Hoffman. Well, you could you could speculate that his usage might be better with Guy Boucher, but then again, Guy Boucher did some nutty shit systems wise when he was in Tampa. So he, yeah, Guy Boucher's a, a Pandora's box, man. Like, it's so weird. He's like one of those weird optical illusions like you think you know what Guy Boucher is but like I have a feeling it's not going to look like what everybody thinks it's going to look like when it happens I could be wrong but that's kind of where my head's going yeah I don't fully trust Guy Boucher exactly Um, that's exactly what I'm saying (laughs) like it it could be totally different than what we're all thinking it could have been Bruce Boudreaux it should have been Bruce Boudreaux but that's neither here nor there another guy that really had to get signed and we spent quite a bit of time talking about was Tyson Berry at the end of the day four years once again at 5.5 that's about what we thought he would fetch I'm honestly I'm really happy on both sides okay this might get a little elongated here um the money's right the money is spot on man if you look if you look at his his scoring his scoring analytics like he he is a top-notch elite number one not number one, but first pair defenseman. Like if you put him with a defensively responsible guy, he is elite, elite power play, elite everything. Like anything has to do with moving the puck, handling the puck, and shooting the puck. My man is top notch in the NHL, and five point five is perfect because just like we like we just talked about with Hoffman, he's only played a few years. You know, it's not, not a giant sample size to suggest that he's worth over six million dollars. And five point five is very reasonable. For for both player and for for team, it's 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 good on both sides. And then the four year term is perfect, man. Like we we've lamented these long term deals because we've both been talking about it, man. Like it's it's starting to get egregious. The term that's getting thrown around, you know. Um, yeah, the bridge the bridge deal is gone. Not that Barry is is a candidate for a bridge deal, but yeah, it's it's all long term all the time. Based on the trend we're seeing, four years is the new bridge deal, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good point. You know, so like 5.5 is a perfect number for him, man. Like, and he's shown consistency in his game over the years. Like, I mean, his first full season, he put up 40 points and then he's putting up 50 and his possession numbers are great. So uh, there's no reason to suggest that he's going to fall off anytime soon. And they do have really skilled, fast players on that team, which plays into his hand, like the way he likes to play. You know, they got Duchesne and McKinnon, you know, guys like that. Um so I like the deal. I like the term. I like I like the dollars because a lot of times players are looking to get overpaid, especially on term like term and dollars. And this way, you know, Tyson Berry, after four years, if he outperforms that contract, he sets himself up to get paid even more. If he becomes a more of a heady guy, gets a little bit more responsible defensively in his early thirties, you know, he only commits to this money for four years, and who knows, man? Like the way the cap's going up, like he could end up getting seven plus when he signs his next deal and it's good for the organization flexibility and they get to retain him because he was, he was a trade target. Same with the Jacob Truba. Like, you know, it was so, it was pegged like everywhere that he was going to get traded and I'm glad he's not. I mean, I don't, I don't think Colorado's got a great thing going on in upper management, but 
be a real fucking mistake to to, to trade that guy away. I don't even care what the return is. Like I, I don't. I mean that loosely, but you had to keep that guy, and they and they managed to it very reasonably. Yeah, Colorado had to keep Tyson Berry. He's by far and away the the best option they have on the blue line long term. And without you know going into it as deep as we did last time, but you know fifth in points per sixty, eighth in goals per sixty, fourteenth in first assists per sixty. Like you know over the last three years. Uh, at five on five, he's a guy that they have they have to have. And with a guy that has that much off- offensive skill from the blue line, you can you can find the right players to come in and play those defensive minutes. You know, like your Boschman and your Johnson and whoever else they hopefully bring in in the near future to to augment that blue line. But that offensive punch is is key. You know, you see you the top have teams. It have a player like that contributing to the blue it. line. Yeah, you certainly do. Vladimir Nemestikov. Uh, we talked, I think it was the last time, we talked about the need for Kucherov to still be signed and the fact that uh, Nemestikov as well as Nesterov were, were probably gone. I, I assumed that, you know, in order to get Kucherov signed, those two guys would, would be gone. But Nemestikov gets a deal, two years, 1.9 per year. That leaves just 6.6 in cap space. And they desperately need Kucherov to be signed. And here's the thing. Kucherov deserves to be paid to the the Tampa max. You know, I I don't mean the max in terms of overall salary. You mean as much as Stamkos? I think pretty close. I do think yeah, pretty well, close. How how much of that? Like what what is Stamkos? Isn't he like eight two five? Eight three five, something like that? I think the the least you want to pay Kucherov, or perhaps the least Kucherov wants to get, is that six point six that remains in cap space. <laughs> you know, and, and he's deserving of it. He's proven to be an elite level player, and when you're you're talking about building a Stanley Cup contender for the long term, you know, that that six to eight-year plan that Steve Eisenman's trying to orchestrate there. Kucherov's a, a big part of it. So, I mean, my question is, is Tampa going to have to make a move to open up the the proper cap space to get him signed? There's still important players to be signed next Yeah, year. that's going to be tricky. I mean, the goaltending has been shored up in most places because, I mean, there's still always that possibility of a Ben Bishop deal to move salary. I mean, you know, we were trying to talk about Nemestikov, but then you got me thinking about Kucherov. Uh, <laughs> well, Ben Bishop going, I mean, that's something that we've probably talked about in half the podcasts we've done, but that's 5.9 right there. And, well, but yeah, you get, that comes you get with rid the caveat. That it clears it. Yeah, it comes with the caveat, though, that in order to move him, you're probably having to take something back, especially at this juncture, because there's other goalies on the table around the league uh, but Bishop is the guy that wants that that big money long term contract, you know, more than anyone else. So, and the the most obvious suitor that everyone knows is Dallas, but that opens up a problem in itself, where you would assume that one of those goaltenders would have to come back. So, I, look, I like the fact that they signed Nemesnikov because his ceiling is pretty high. He he has proven to be able to play on that top line with Stamkos, which is huge, and he's only twenty three years old. And this this shorter term commitment, you know, we're talking about these long term commitments to these players. Two years at one point nine, it gives them flexibility to, you know, a move him or b he'll finish it out and then they'll lose him. 
because, <laughs> because he, I mean, just look for him to be the, the, the next lost piece, like Chicago's losses in the future. Like watch him be moved with Callahan for a second and a third <laughs> to reclaim some cap space because they do have some bad contracts on the book. Yeah, well, they and also have they also have great prospects too. So if it happens, it happens. They do, they do. The other the other part of this though is okay. I said it would be Nemestikov and Nestorov last time. Now it's almost certainly got to be Nestorov, and your sixth defenseman now is Matt Termina. So, I mean. And Schuster comes up next season. So I just see them losing a little bit on the back end to get these players signed. This might be a hot take or a little unpopular, but given what the situation looks like, don't it's me. it might just be me, but don't you get the feeling that Tyler Johnson's going to be the guy out? I do. And I, I don't think that that's something that they, you know, that they want to see happen, but no, but it, I'm just saying that's what I think that that's just what, it, if you want to keep all these other guys, that's just what's going to happen. There's no way. There's no way. Yeah. Neither Callahan or Philpola can be taken in the expansion draft due to their, their no movement clauses. And I like Philpola a lot more than I like Callahan in terms of what he brings to Tampa Bay, but neither one of those are great contracts. Those types it, of contracts, as well as Jason Garrison, as well as Braden Coburn, they're going to limit Tampa's options to keep this this core together. I mean, one of Palat, Johnson, or Druin is going to be lost. And you know they're not going to lose Druin. Like They're going to do whatever they can to keep Jonathan Druin. They almost did for the last year and a half. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, he, he proved to be a, a vital piece. I mean, Jonathan Druin is disgusting. ridiculous. <laughs> he's so skilled. I mean, he's like, he's like Patrick Kane 2.0. I mean, he, the guy... I think has an incredibly high yeah, ceiling. Yeah, I, 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 one of the summer MVSWs, not to piggyback off their stuff, but um, they were talking to Bill Peters, and they were talking about how, you know, in the traditional NHL, centers drive possession, and then there's a handful of wingers these days. It's like a weird hybrid thing where they drive possession, and Jonathan Drouin is one of those guys. Like, he's a guy that can drive possession off the wing which is very rare like there's only a handful of dudes that can do it he and Patrick Kane and maybe a couple others mm-hmm. yeah no you you're right i i listen to that as well and i mean peters is a smart guy and so if he puts that much stock in Jonathan Drew in you know the Tampa Bay Lightning do i mean he's 21 years old he has to be re-signed so something something has to give Either they have to move out one of these these contracts that's crippling the organization, or they're gonna or they're gonna lose a guy like Johnson or, or Palat as free agents. And you know, you talk about Tampa Bay, and oh, you know, they've got two top lines essentially. Well, they're not going to if they don't get this rectified. And and that's why I circle back to that Alex Kalorn contract, and I just kind of shake my head. I like yeah, the guy. That, I, I that really fu- do. That fucked it up. It fucked it up. Yeah, I I, I think. I think Eiserman's made a couple of mistakes. And Jonathan Drewin, uh, I believe it was MVSW again, where they were, they were talking about it. Jonathan Drewin was almost one of those mistakes as well. You know, he was a high pick. He almost didn't pan out. You know, had Eiserman not stood his ground, uh, they wouldn't have him either. And it really wouldn't have fixed anything because Palat and, and Johnson still need contracts and there's no money in the bank. I, I think they're just going to have to ride it out. But at some point, I think Nemesnikov with this contract, he, he might be a guy that they have to move out, you know, like a Taravainen, 
um, along with a, a bigger cap hit player like a Callahan or a Felpula, just just to free yeah, up the space in. to sign the important players. Yeah, but <clears throat> we haven't really done much talking about him, the player. His his goals per sixty is is equivalent to a first line player. His playmaking equivalent to a second line player. His shot suppression above first line player. Shot generation second line player. I mean, this is a guy that hasn't put up a lot of points, and that's because Cooper's used used him very uh, in a very limited fashion. He's been pretty guarded for the most part, um, not getting all the ice time. But his his analytics would suggest that. If you give this guy the ice time with a Stamkos and with better players and more consistent ice time, I mean, he's going to be a hard guy to trade away. <laughs> Especially no, absolutely. Ma- making the money that he's making now in his age, like it, he, you, you might be willing to lose a Tyler Johnson or somebody else just to keep this guy in the roster. Well, he he might be the, rep- the replacement level player for Tyler Johnson. That exactly that's exactly my point. Like his his analytics for his limited ice time would suggest that he he he's that guy or the, he can be that guy easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. It's the the clock is ticking for Kucherov. You know, there might be a there might be a holdout given given the Mesnikov skill set and his ceiling. I'm I'm glad that they didn't lose him for nothing because I think Kucherov wants to be a part of this, and the I deal think is reasonable. Oh yeah, for for Nemestikov, absolutely, it's it's right on the money, you know, and you're not overcommitting, you know, cap dollars or term for this kid. Uh, ideally, at his age, you you'd probably want to get the term a little bit longer, but given their situation, they've they've got a lot of fish to fry in that organization. So, Certainly. <laughs> it, it's it's not a job that I that I envy of Steve Eisenman's. He's done a good job with his core players so far, but there are at least three more players I think within the next two seasons that are a part of that core that are going to be the the deciding factor. Uh, that on top of the fact that you know Vasilevsky has to be a number one goalie to to get this organization another cup, which is they're capable of. They are, but if they don't handle it right, they could miss yeah, out. Yeah, I, I know what. I really don't want to get off topic here. I know we addressed it on a uh, previous podcast, but um, I, I don't know what the circumstance would be that they lose Kucherov. But you know, you just went through that went through that whole ordeal with Stamkos, and he did sign a reasonable deal. That deal is very reasonable for Stamkos. Other teams were offering much more money. Um, but. I, I I don't know why my gut tells me I'd rather have Kucherov because every every year in the playoffs Steve, Steven Stamkos is injured and we see what Kucherov can do and he's healthy. I, yeah. I don't. I just I, I I I almost think I love Steven Stamkos. I just think it would almost be a mistake to to lose Kucherov for next to nothing and then you know you, you locked up Stamkos even though he's your franchise centerman captain. I get all that first overall pick. I get all of it. But if you're a shrewd, a shrewd operator, I, I almost think that you that you you want to keep Kucherov more. Now Kucherov has been just as important, if not more, to that to that franchise than Steven Samkos over the last two seasons. So exactly, you know, a deal. I, I don't think he's going to be gone and lost. Um, I think the worst case scenario is that it's a short term contract, like a, a bridge deal, one of those rare bridge deals. That, that Kucherov signs at, you know, the the most money available 
in in Tampa's system. And then when that's up, I mean, just look out for it. Look out for it because he's he's going to produce. He's already proven that he can, and I think he's he's got another gear in him. So, I mean, he's twenty three. He's twenty three years old. Let's not let's not lose sight of that. Um, well, who else you got? What what, what are you what what else you looking at here, man? Uh, well, another busy GM of late would have been Cheka, uh, Connor Murphy, and Michael Stone, uh, as well as Braden Shen. So he's he's solidifying that defense with players that can play now. You know, and you he's got Luke a tongue Shen? of. Oh, I say Braden. Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, yeah, Luke Shen. Uh, but he's got a ton of young players in the system. You know, like Klaus Dahlbeck, uh, Jacob Chikrin, Anthony D'Angelo, Jared Tenorti. So he adds these guys, adds term to these guys. Very shrewd. Yeah, I, I like it, man. He's really taking care of that blue line. And, and even guys that you might not be that impressed with, like Luke Shen, it's one year, 1.25. Like, there's no risk. He can eat minutes. Sure he can. Yeah. So it's a good deal. Stone, I think he would have preferred to get locked up longer term. He got one year at four million. He's got you know really high upside, a lot of potential. Uh, had a career year last season. So, but Connor Murphy brings home six years at, at three point eight five. I think that's the the point that we can focus in on because that's that's a long term commitment. Do you think that was too much for Connor Murphy? Do you like it? It's the term, but we came back to that just like when we're talking about Kalorn and you know all the other shit we were talking about earlier. It's the term, man. Like if you'd assign him to three years at three point eight five, I you know I wouldn't even I wouldn't even blink an eye at it. You know, be like okay, that's fine. I mean, they they don't spend a lot of money anyway. Mm-hmm. But six years, um, at least it's not six years times six or seven. You know, I'm not saying he deserves that. Just you know, there's deals floating out floating around out there like that that seem pretty steep and we'll get into one of them later that we have opposing views on with my man the kaiser but um yeah it's safe i mean they don't spend to the cap it's a it's a safe it's a safe signing i mean it's just he's so young that even by the end of that contract it's not going to be horrible yeah the thing with the thing with the the coyotes organization is they're so invested in the analytics and they understand players you know, down to their core. And, you know, they've got a, a former first over, or not first overall, but a former first round draft pick. I think he went 20th overall. Um, he's played most of his time of late with Oliver Ekman Larson. And, you know, his defensive ability and his size and his skating ability has has allowed OEL to rush the puck and, and produce a lot offensively. I think what they must see in him is the potential for a first pairing, you know, number three at worst long-term. And if they get that out of him at 3.85, then, you know, it starts to sound like that Adam Larson deal, you know, that, that, uh, Shirelli is so high on, but it's tradable. It's, it's tradable. And really if he, if he hits and he develops into that, I mean, so far he has been, he's been playing those minutes, then that that's a great, that's a great deal. In, in cap savings long term, and I think that's probably what it was. Is Chaco's looking for a way to get get those the cap savings long term on him and stretch it out to where it, it gets down to three point eight five per season. And as far as I know, there's no stipulations to the contract in terms of you know NTCs um, or or no movement clauses. So it's not that that high of a gamble, and. Blue liners are are fetching a pretty penny. And if, you, if you want to talk about, you say he's trying to get cap savings long term. It's it's not even about the cap savings per se. It's about where you get those cap savings. 
And like I said, I full disclosure, I haven't watched him play a lot. I, I, I didn't, you know, didn't see how he was used. But if you're saying that he's playing with OEL a lot, playing those minutes, and you know, he's got he's got two full seasons with the Coyotes, so they they have they have enough there. They've they've seen enough of him playing. If they think that he can be a long term uh, top pairing defenseman with Oliver Ekman Larson, then this is a great deal because. You talk about cap savings, and you talk about the the way defenses are built on certain teams. Like you look at our favorite team, the Red Wings. I mean, we don't even have a true number one number one defenseman. You know what I mean? Like we're trying to build from the bottom up on defense, which is a fucking mistake. And if you can get a guy like Connor Murphy that solidifies your top pairing along with a legit number one defenseman, you're building from the top down on your defensive depth. And that, if you can put yourself in a position to build that way. That's nuts. And if you can get that kind of cap savings, if you're paying less than $4 million the next six years for a guy that's going to play on your top line consistently on defense, dude, like you have 20 other teams in, in the league that envy that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And and that's why that's why I don't mind the deal at all. And like we alluded to, it's, it's easily moved. Um, and when you've got as many young defensemen in the system, like promising defensemen in the system is what the Coyotes do then I, I don't think they're too worried about a replacement-level player coming in. And, you know, the other guy, Michael Stone, he's he's pretty damn good in his own right. You know, he, I've he seen put more up of him than Murphy, and Stone's season. a good player. Murphy might just be taking a little bit longer to fully develop, but thus far, even though some of the underlying numbers don't pop at you, he he is handling those minutes pretty well. And when you've got a guy like OEL on on your pairing, you t- you really don't have to overcompensate at all because the guy is elite. So it's good. The other thing that Shaka decided to do, uh, raise some eyebrows. It was interesting. Thirty uh, four year old veteran Anton Vermette is gone. He's bought out. How do you feel, man? Vermette's been a household name for a long time and a lot of time spent with Arizona. Uh, remember, he was traded to Chicago, get a cup. He was an impact player in Columbus. The buyouts costed him 1.25 over the next two years, but they are relieved of his $3.75 million cap hit, and now they have space to bring in some some young players and get them ice time. Yeah, that this isn't about cap. Unfortunately, like you see, like you went uh, the, the the Michael Bodker trade, they brought in Tangay. Tangay played pretty well for the Coyotes, like. What the Coyotes are doing is very smart. It's a it's a progress it's a progression thing. So the, the every year they're bringing in more and more young players, especially on the blue line. And as they're doing it, they're augmenting that with veterans to take up the ice time in important minutes, uh, i.e. a Vermet. They trade them away, get assets, bring them back, plays the important minutes. But now they've got young guys that are ready to take a crack at that ass because they're not going to get into a playoff spot next year, most likely. Most likely, I mean, shit happens, man. <clears throat> Most likely won't make the playoffs, but they're ready to give the ice time to these kids. And, like, they have they have guys down the middle, and then now they're going to bring in a Dylan Strom. There's no way Dylan Strom doesn't make this team. Yep, absolutely. I Look, it was the 2009-2010 season that Vermette put up 27 goals and 65 points with Columbus, and that got him, uh, I believe it was a five-year contract at 3.75, he never lived up to that contract. And, you know, Arizona did him a solid by signing him to an additional two years after his cup run with the Blackhawks at the same cap hit. And Jacob comes in and 
look, you know, we just spoke of, of this. They're an analytics driven organization now and Vermette's underlying numbers aren't good. Like they're, no, they're just they're not. not, man. He's, if you look at his goal scoring per 60 playmaking per 60 or, you know, first assist per 60 shot generation, shot suppression, you look at the analytics down the board, they all peg him as a fourth line player. Yeah. And that's all you're getting in it. And if you're an analytics driven team and that's how you're dispersing or dispersing your cap money to be paying a guy almost $4 million to be no better than a fourth line player. I mean, I, I get the move, and I like Vermette. And you know what? I really do think there will be a team with a lot more veteran depth that will pick him up and find him useful, kind of like a uh, shit towards the end of his career, Manny Moholtra, those last few years where, where he was hanging on after the eye injury. Mm-hmm. Um, can't work on any team. Like, There's probably like maybe a quarter to a third of the teams in the league that he provides a service to. But Vermette's a very, a very fluid skater, very fast skater, and he's great on the draw. And so th- there will be teams that, you know, because we, we were doing these team previews, we do talk about teams that don't have much going on in the bottom six. So there will be a team that can definitely use his services and utilize them for what they need. But at, for right now, the Coyotes just, they don't need that shit. Not and, at that cap it. Yeah, and, and that's that's the one thing, you know, when I look at Anton Vermette, you know, he's, he's an established NHL player, has been for a long time, and he is – one of the best face-off guys in the league. Uh, over yep. the last three seasons, he ranks 11th in face-off win percentage. And he's taken um, the eighth most face-offs in that, in that time frame. Uh, if, you look at the, if you look at just face-offs, here's an interesting thing. The Coyotes finished first in the league last year in face-off win percentage. And Vermette's oh, wow. a big part of that. And <laughs> the funny thing about uh, a guy like Vermette, you know, he's a guy that, you know, oh, he's washed up. He's old. He doesn't really contribute a lot. Like it, it feels like a New Jersey signing to me. <laughs> when you look, dude, at the- you're not fucking wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong at all. They wow. were second from Good last in, in faceoff win percentage last year. Well, they signed Antoine Vermette. They'll go into the second tier. Yeah, <laughs> but and you they know, don't have any centers. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, a lot of young centers. But yeah, in, in terms of of proven NHL players that have been around the no. league for a long time. And look at what New Jersey's done with veterans of late. It's it's incredible. They've brought guys in, and, and all of a sudden they can play again. So that wouldn't shock me. But the team that I, that I kind of am looking at, and I don't know how you feel about this, but Nashville. Nashville was ranked 26th in faceoff win percentage. And oh, dude, he's the type of guy that I – that makes a lot of sense. That's a Poil type of signing right there. I think it is, and, 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 and based on his analytics projections, I mean, that's a put him on your fourth line. Fine, exactly. Well, you know who they just lost from their fourth line, who ranked fourth in in faceoff win win percentage over the last three years, was Paul Gostad. And Vermette has proven to be able to put up somewhere to the tune of, I mean, on a fourth line, I would say thirty to forty points tops. And Gostad's not a points tops. Yeah, and Gostad's not a point producer, so you no. know. Vermette's very similar in terms of his ability to to win draws and play penalty kill. Mhm. So I I kind of like the fit in Nashville. Well, and let's look at this too. You know, Nashville's got 5.4 remaining in in cap space. And a guy that plays down the middle that is a regular 40-point player in Sam Gagne just signed at 650k. So if that's the going rate Vermette's career has been a little more consistent than Sam Gagne. 
Well, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. Sam Gagne last season, you know, you you and I were just talking about it. Um, the the Flyers' misuse of of certain players, and Sam Gagne is one of them. And no, I get that. It's just Sam Gagne is an up and down player. Even his years in Edmonton, you know, like some years he looked great, some years he didn't. For Mets, been a consistent player. Like you, you know what you're getting for the most part. I, either way, I really like the Gagne contract. I mean, 650k. Like Kekalainen finally makes a really solid signing. Uh, I mean, it's hard to believe it's been so long, man. But he was he was a sixth overall pick in 2007, and last year it was that that middle of the season injury. He missed 11 games, and then he, he was sent down to the American Hockey League and had to play his way back up. And by the time he did, they couldn't take him out, out of the lineup in the playoffs. He was one of their best players. Yeah, man, and he's an excellent, excellent, excellent playmaker. And his, his calling card, the reason that he entered the NHL so early is, is his ability to run a power play. And God, Lord knows, with those middling, not great skating players on contracts that are overinflated that Columbus has, they need a guy that can run the power play. I mean, shit, even if you play him on the second line, maybe even third line, and he plays all the top power play minutes, they need that. And at that price, Jesus, that's 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 a ridiculous price. But you know what? Sam Gagne, other than this season with the Flyers, he he has left a lot to be desired. Like like based on where when he was where he was drafted, what his expectations were, and how good he looked early on in his career when he was played as an 18-year-old, you would have figured he'd he, he'd have uh, a better legacy to this point, and he doesn't. And, you know, you can say Kekalainen made a great move, but what other choice did Sam Gagne have? Really? Columbus was at the top of your list? That that makes you think that most general managers in the league just don't think he's going to cross that threshold, or else he would have gotten a better offer somewhere else, man. I don't want to say it like that because I like Sam Gagne, but it's totally true. I think when your ceiling's 40 points – and you are designated as you know a, a second power play uh, type player and, and playing in the bottom six regularly. I think six hundred and fifty thousand dollars is a worthy investment for a lot of teams to make. And I, I am surprised that I am surprised that you know it came down to Columbus, and I'm surprised that he didn't get offered a, a little bit more. I mean, I I realize I I know what Sam Gagne is at this point. I know where he never peaked and never you know developed as as the guy that Edmonton picked him to be. Um, but that can circle back around to a lot of different circumstances, and one of them being the fact that Edmonton picked him sixth overall in the draft. I mean, look at look at Nile Yakupov. You know, if he doesn't get out of that organization, there's a chance that he turns into Sam Gagne as well, and that's a first yeah. overall pick. So I'm not sure who's to blame, but I like the contract. Now, the, the, the interesting thing will be, you know, how does Sam Gagne fit under John Tortorella and in his yeah, system? Yeah, it almost seems like the wrong coach. It really does. Vermette, Vermette would probably work out better. <laughs> hey, speaking of, you know, I mentioned Vermette to, um, to Nashville. Let's circle back around because on the first day of my vacation – uh, Wednesday, July 28th. That was a pretty big day for the Predators. Uh, they got Cal Yarncroft signed as well as Matt Carl. Dude, did like did you think that that was a typo as well? Because when I saw six by, by two, 
I thought no way. I it's was a just weird waiting ass contract, for... <laughs> dude. It's so it's, it's a so weird, weird. It's a weird ass contract. You've never seen a deal with that kind of term for that for that for that price. I mean, maybe in the '90s or something when the cap was much lower. I mean, I, actually, there wasn't a salary cap, but when teams didn't spend as much money. I mean, I don't know, inflation, whatever have you. But six. I mean, you're more likely to flip those numbers. You know, like a two year deal at six mil per year. That's a deal you see all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really weird, man. Um, you know, Yarn Crock was a Red Wings prospect, and we're Red Wings fans, and that was a guy we really didn't want to lose either. Was wasn't he part of that David Leguan trade? Yeah, he and yeah. Uh, Patrick Eves. They must see something, man, because he doesn't put up points. There's no points to be had. His shot suppression's at an upper second line level. His shot suppression's really great. And other than that, the analytics don't bear much for him. Uh, maybe maybe he's a uh, maybe he's a great defensive center. That's the, like maybe Nashville. You know, and they their whole organization has had a defensive outlook and acumen for a long time. Barry Barry Trotz, notwithstanding, or whatever, however you want to view it. All right, that's just Poyle's thing. Like he likes to build a defensive team, so maybe they see a guy that's a, like a great third line center, like like a Riley Shahan in Detroit, you know, something like that. Maybe they see that in him. And to be honest, I mean, for the way that uh, GMs are getting trigger happy and signing these guys to like six, seven year deals at pretty decent money, you can't fault a guy like Poyle for if if he really likes what he sees in Yarncroc, like you know, in the weight room, in the practice, in the practice rink, and you know, the work ethic and, and sees how hard he works on the ice, like to say, Hey, I'm totally cool. If this guy does what he's doing right now, I'm totally cool with paying him 2 million for the next six years. That's your third line center spot. And like, you got it locked up and 2 million, $2 million isn't, isn't shit to pay for that. I mean, there's some really, really good third line centers in the league. Like one of my favorites of all time right now is Cody Eakin. Would I pay Cody Eakin $2 million? Yeah. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? Like absolutely. So it's a good deal. It's just fucking weird. <laughs> it's just weird. It's, but I I mean, I got no problem with it cuz he's so young. I got no problem with it cuz you can easily buy it out or someone will trade for it. If if he if he works that hard and the things that they see in him are true, someone would trade for that shit. Even if they have to retain half the salary, a team would trade for that with 4 years left on it at 1 mil a year. Someone would do it. Oh yeah, look Yarncrock isn't the flashy, like silky smooth Swede that's going to dominate a game, but he's versatile and he's progressing well. I mean, he he's played on all three of the the top three lines, you know, successfully, and he can play at all three of the forward positions, uh, primarily on the left wing. But he's he's naturally a center, so you know, like you alluded to, he might be that that third line center. But hell, man, he could develop into a second line center at some point, depending on how how he's used. You're also looking at the fact that Mike Fisher and Mike Ribeiro both come up next season and neither of them be gone. Neither of them are overly deserving of what they're making against the cap right now. Although I do really like Mike Fisher. And I think Mike Fisher will take less to stay there. I think you will too. And that's but Ribeiro. They, they, if they could kick Ribeiro out right now, they'd do it. I'd kick Ribeiro out right now if <laughs> yeah. I could do it. But, and that's, I think that's right where we need to focus is, you know, he's surrounded by a young core, in particular, a couple of really good Swedes, you know, Philip Forsberg and, and Matthias Ekholm. And he's got he's got a legitimate chance to win, like for the long term. And what I think might have happened here, because I don't think it's just a bad agent, you know, <laughs> getting him the least that he possibly could. Like this might be a guy 
that understands the value of career stability. And we see players pushed out, bought out, sent down all the time because of their cap hit and, and its burden to their respective franchise. And Yarn yep. Kroc has put himself in a position to where he doesn't have to be one of those guys. He's not going to handicap that franchise. In fact, now he becomes more valuable than he ever has been to that franchise long term. And when you know as a franchise that you've got a player locked up for six years at nothing, that you need to focus a lot of time and development into that player, get him on lines that can help him succeed and help those around him succeed and and really build off of him and, and allow him to become one of your core players. Because the, the moves that Poyle's made has done nothing but better this organization. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? I think it's great. I think it's great. And then they come back around, they sign Matt Carl to, to make that defense even deeper. One year at $700,000. I Like, look, Carl's... Carl went from an arguable top pairing defenseman a few years ago to a bottom pairing defenseman, like five, six at best right now. But $700,000 for a single season to make that defense, not that it really needed it, even deeper. It's another great move by Poyle. It is, man. Um, Championship caliber teams that come out of the central, like you see at Chicago, a lot of times defensive depth is the problem. You're calling up guys like... Kyle Comiskey, David Brumblad, people on their last leg, <laughs> chemo team in who could barely fucking skate coming off of whatever, blood clots or something. Um, It's good to have him. I mean, Matt Carl, he's declined very quickly. So well, who knows what he can actually bring to the table, but just to have him around is very valuable. Oh, certainly. And, you know, his addition, it what it does for me is it takes some pressure off of some young players like Anthony Potato and Peter Granberg. You know, they don't all of a sudden they don't have to be full season, you know, eighty two game defensemen. And a guy that they do have locked into their third pairing in Yannick Weber could use a guy that, that can skate. You know, Matt Carl can't do a lot of things. He doesn't put up a lot of points. He's not, you know, the best possession player in the world. But he, he can he can skate, and to to get him next to Yannick Weber, at least off and on, it's it's decent. You know, it's it's obviously, pretty decent. Obviously, Subban's going to play with Yossi. Uh huh. And then you got Ekholm. Who does Ekholm play with? Ryan Ellis. Uh huh. And then there's those bottom two spots. There's there's those bottom two spots, but Peter Granberg, he's 23 years old. He's not ready for a full season. I don't think. I mean, I think he's he's got the the potential. Um, as well as Anthony, Anthony Potato, but you know he's 26. Carl and Weber. I mean, Carl's at a $700,000 cap hit, and Yannick Weber's at 575. So those guys can be sent down, called up, waived, lost. I mean, it doesn't matter. I think what they've done is they've just given themselves, you know, a little bit of insurance in case one of these young kids can't handle a full time gig or somebody gets injured, which is naturally going to happen in a condensed season, you know, of 82 games. So I, they're, they're both at one years, both those young kids still have two years remaining and then their top four are locked up long-term. So, you know, I just think it's, it's a little extra insurance. And when your goaltending can be questionable at times, extra insurance on the blue line is, is not a bad thing. I mean, look, you saw what happened to, and granted, he's gone, but you saw what happened to the to the top four by the time they ran into San Jose. They were tired. 
They were gassed, and they they couldn't keep up with them. So honestly, Shea Weber in particular, he got he got roasted the last couple games against the Sharks. He got roasted. Yeah, he sure did. And man, that top four is really good. <laughs> wow. Like yeah. you talk about going like you know Nashville's mantra for so long was you know a team that could hit big defensemen, and now they've got a really mobile defense. Like dude, the way Ryan Ellis has come along, the way he plays specifically paired with a Yossi, paired with a Subban, you've got mm-hmm. three of the most versatile versatile defensemen in the league. Like that's so ridiculous. <laughs> It is. That's uh, so ridiculous. Like, if one of those guys goes down for, like, 20 games, like, you're fine. Like, you can totally mix and match your pairs there and, you know. And with Ekholm, I didn't throw him in there because I don't see him at that level as those other three. But you totally can mix and match. And it's I think probably, he is, man. It's probably, I mean, not super no, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying, like, a, a egregious gap. Just, like, I don't. I wouldn't say Ekholm is as good and as seasoned as those other three guys. That's all. But he's there, like talent wise, he's there, and that's what I'm saying. Like if one of those one of those three goes down, they're totally fine. Yep. The, Mix the and only match. they can swap the pairings, any of that shit. They're good. Yeah. The only downside to a lot of this, um, in particular on the on the forward end of the spectrum, is that Nashville is pretty much guaranteed to lose a good player at the expansion draft. Uh, one of Wilson, Neil Smith, or Yarncroft is going to go. Is going to go in the draft, and that's like, fine. That's fine as long as you don't lose one of those defensemen. Yeah, they, they got to keep the defense tight. The only thing that I think they might be able to do to circumvent this, um, I love Pekka Rene, and I don't want to get too heavily into it, but Rene wasn't great last year. Uh, he did turn it on off and on in, in the postseason. Um, he looked way better in the postseason because before the All Star break, he was dog shit. It was rough. It was rough, and for a it team that's rough. built to win, and they do have, they've given themselves, you know, a, a good long window to get this done. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to one of those aforementioned forwards getting packaged in a deal to solidify that goaltending because right now, although I did like what I saw from him a couple of years ago in Merrick Mazanitz, I'm not sure that that's enough. To guarantee them success, and yeah, they did. They didn't sign for a backup goalie after Carter Hutton went to the Blues, did they? No, they did not. That's what I thought. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's totally right. They did not bring in a backup. Yep. Ooh. Yeah, they must like what they see from Mizanitz in the AHL. Then he's he's a good goalie. There's no doubt about it. But what's really hurting him right now is that seven million dollar cap hit by Rene over the next three years with a no movement clause nonetheless. So it's not like, it's not even like they can, you know, expose him to the expansion because I would if I was Nashville, provided I could bring in a guy like I don't know, like Ben Bishop or somebody like that. Because this you team could, and there's there's people available. Depends on the UFA year. Like if if the expansion draft was right now and they they let him get claimed and then you were able to sign a guy like James Reimer i mean there depending on the ufa year there might be a guy you can sign instead of keep somebody they can get lost in the expansion yeah. yep well it's it's good man the, those those two deals are excellent uh another team that made two deals in close proximity would be the detroit red wings you want to get into dan DeKaiser and and Peter Morazic. You combine him with Jimmy Howard contract-wise, and it doesn't stack up well against the rest of the league, but 
Um, as far as his individual deal goes, the, the, the two years at $4 million, settled out of arbitration. He wanted five. The Red Wings wanted to offer him like two to three a year. Um I like the bridge deal for him. I, I saw on Twitter a lot of a lot of Red Wings fans that I follow and that have in, interesting takes on Red Wings happenings. They want a longer term deal for Mrazek, but you know we're we're both goalies and goal goaltending is a very fickle position in the NHL. You know, Agreed. like look at uh, like uh, Roman Czechmanic, Ch- uh, Roman Turek, you know, like shit like that. You know, like uh, fuck, fucking Andrew Raycroft. Vesatoskala, like a guy can get a starting job and play well for a year and a half, two years, and then fucking fall off the map. And like, doesn't matter what team he plays for, you know, it's just gone, gone. Or or, or it could be Rick DiPietro and you know sign for injuries <laughs> and never come back. As a huge Morazic fan, you know how big of a Morazic fan I was. I or how how big of a fan I am. You know, I was t- I was telling you this guy about uh, when he played World Juniors before he was drafted. I'm glad it's a two-year deal at a reasonable number because you know what? It gives us two years to figure out what's going on with Howard, and it's a prove-it deal. Mrazek doesn't have the long-term security, and to, let's be honest. like His track record hasn't shown that he deserves a longer deal, and as much as I like him, and I love his competitiveness, man, the last goalie I saw with his competitive fervor was Dominic Hasek. I'm not saying he plays like Hasek, but the way he's so aggressive and plays real low like a Jonathan Quick or Dominic Hasek was the only two goalies that come to mind when I watch Peter Mrazek play. And I don't think that's a far off comparison. I'm not saying well, he's, he's as great as those guys, but he yeah, plays yeah. a very aggressive and erratic style. And uh, I like that he has to prove himself over two years. And, you know, what happened last year is he, he was playing great, man. Like through the middle of the season, he was great. And then he started fucking up, and then all of a sudden Jimmy Howard came in and saved the day. Like Howard had a nice stretch of fifteen games where, fifteen games or so where he was on fire. And like the the thing is, I don't mind the tandem of Howard and Mrazek. I like it a lot. If you're being completely honest, you know, like I I love those two goalies. I'm a huge Howard fan. I got his jersey hanging up in my closet. I like Howard. I just think Howard has a shit contract, and that that's the only downside. And that's the that's the the point with Peter Mrazek's deal is exactly if you give him what he's looking for. Now, granted, he was looking for five million over two initially, um, but Howard's the guy that signed that that long term middling contract at five million dollars. It was a is a six year five point two million dollar contract, and that's a contract that Detroit's ready and willing to move. And you know, at the time, we weren't even crazy about the deal when it was signed. But I didn't hate it either. We didn't hate it, no. But he he had just made the All Star game. Like he was a top notch goalie, right? But when you look long term, you know Mrazek could have been that guy had Detroit decided to to commit, you know, at five or six years, like we've seen uh, a lot of teams committing to players for. And you know, like you rightly pointed to, Mrazek needed Howard to to come in and and save him. He he got shaky and. Granted, he came back in in the postseason with his first game with a, with a shutout. Uh, <laughs> it still doesn't make him out to be, you know, a proven number one goaltender long term in the no. NHL. He's an explosive goalie. He's not the the big frame positional goalie um, that that is trending in the league right now. He's an explosive it's all agility goalie and quickness. And sometimes that opens you up to you know second chances against. But yeah, Alex prior to the All Star break, man, he was he was a top three goalie in uh, in save percentage all situations. He only trailed Holtby and, and Crawford. 
at that point. There there was talk. Like Honestly, I remember all the podcasts that you and I both frequent. There was talks of him in, in the Vesna conversation. Oh, certainly. Uh, halfway through the halfway through the year, there was talks of Mrazek in the in the Vesna conversation, and that's how good he is. And I didn't when I said his comparables, I didn't even think about Tim Thomas, but that's an excellent comparable. Yep. yep. He's is so ultra aggressive, but leaves himself open to to peril. And that's what we saw with Tim Thomas. And then Tim Thomas ultimately took a year off and tried to come back, got pushed out of the league. You know, like it, that's a it's a dangerous line to play. Dominic Hasek did it with grace because he played in the '90s in an era where the defensemen were allowed to get away with a lot more, and he didn't have to deal with as much fluidity through the slot and the crease. And and they had the no skate in the rule crease. You know, so Dominic Hasek got away with some shit back in those times. But I like the deal. I like the deal. I just I remember I sent you a text. I don't remember what it's uh, what it depicted. Uh, but the text was a, a screenshot of a of a tweet that I saw that showed that Detroit is going to be in the top like six or seven in goaltending paid for the upcoming season. And as a Red Wings fan, knowing that we're overpaying like three different guys on defense, I really it irks me. But like you just said, Mrazek needs Howard. He needs Howard, and vice versa. And you know. I, I'm not the biggest 1A, 1B supporter, but I kind of hope they both play next year. And, you know, they weren't able to trade him, so I, I hope they both play. I don't like to see the, you know, I, I think it was worse when Morassic became the number one goalie because then, like we said, he fizzled out. And he had a, a lull moment. Like, why does it have to be like that? Like, I, I really think that they could go back and forth. Well, Morassic took that- his job last time around. And, you know, he started the season as the as the legitimate you know, number one goalie. And really he did, he did a good job. Like we talked about the first half of the season. Um, and honestly, the, just lining those two up next to each other, because that's the easiest thing to do. Mrazek blew Howard away overall. It was a even strength save percentage difference of 0.933 to 0.917 Mrazek to Howard. If and he handled the majority. Stats, yes. Yeah. He handled the majority of, of the starts. He over 65% of his starts were, were, quality starts and that's what's defined by Rob Volman as above league average say percentage or less than three goals against per game so you know he, he's already proven to be in the upper seven percent of starters and honestly he hasn't had enough time as a number one to make a final call on him long term so exactly you can everything say about is, this is good you can say that his, his numbers put him at that point but there's not a body of work and if it wasn't for fucking Jimmy Howard coming in when Mrazek had that law, that the playoff streak would have been over. I'm just gonna say that it would have been over. Mrazek was in a funk. Like if they if they if they would have had Thomas McCollum or Jared Carew to lean on behind Mrazek, they'd have been fucked. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, they would have been fucked. And so I I know what you said with the stats, the analytics. I get that. That he was the Mrazek was the better goalie based on all those things, and I respect a lot of uh, you know Rob Volman's work, obviously. Um, but Howard was a necessary evil on that team. Like the only he was the main reason they made the playoffs in that third quarter stretch. If Howard doesn't turn that performance in that he did over those stretch of, stretch of games, they don't make the playoffs. Well, so let, let's. I'm, I'm going to further Mrazek's defense by saying that his defense sucks. And he gets oh, no we help. Get, we get that. And we're, we're about to get into that because the next thing we're going to talk about is Danny DeKaiser getting signed. <laughs> right quick, before we do, because that that is something to talk about. Like, uh, I'm not 
a big believer in handling goaltenders, you know, a mass chunk of your cap space over a long period of time. But the the wings, like you said, need Howard to back up Mrazic, and Mrazic needs Howard. Um, I, w- they, I wouldn't even say a backup situation. They just need them both. They need them both. But the problem is, and I realize over the course of a season, just like last year, they probably do need them both. But they can't afford to, to keep Howard because if they do, there's a good chance he's the guy taking an expansion. And you say, oh, wait, that fixes things. They have too many bad contracts on the books to let that happen. Like The problem is, is they need to move Howard for that purpose so that Vegas takes another player off off of their their that's roster. A really, that's a really interesting point. <laughs> but <laughs> I never thought of that. But there's no market for Jimmy Howard because we know Ken Holland has been actively shopping him, and nobody wants him. So there's no trade market for Howard. He's probably going to stay, whether Vegas takes him or not. Like we're still going to have co- bad contracts on the books. I would assume between he and some of the other guys they've signed of late, he would be the easier guy to move. But thus far, it hasn't been that easy. So I just, like, full, full circle, I don't really see how they get out of this. And maybe it is another season. of. I never two. thought about it from the angle that you just took, man. I never thought about that. Because you're, you're absolutely right. There, there are other contracts on this team that would be better levied in the expansion draft. I never thought about it that way. And so mm-hmm. moving, moving Howard beforehand... Would allow you get rid of a Darren Hill, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean, if we're all hoping and praying and we're ultra religious, we're hoping they take Jonathan Erickson, but no one's gonna take. No one's. No, no one's doing that. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a lot less term than Darren Helm, you know. No, so, I know, but you know. Yeah, it's it's a sticky situation. Well, speaking of Jonathan Erickson in that blue line, uh, Dan DeKaiser, five million dollars per season over six years. They avoid arbitration. Uh, would you have gone to ARB? <laughs> with this guy, or would have you, or would you have given him thirty million? I don't find it that egregious because I've seen him play and I watched him play at Western Michigan. And I know what this kid can do, man, and he's really good. He's really good. And do I like, seeing as what some defensemen in the NHL get paid? Do I think Danny DeKaiser is an overpayment? It, I, just in a, in a vacuum on a one year deal, like if you just take one year, like for next season. Is Dan DeKaiser a liability at $5 million a year compared to the rest of the league on defense? I don't think so. I don't think so. I really don't think so. Talk about the term. You talk about the term, and then you bring in the the the, the concept of context within the Red Wings blue line situation. And yes, I get your I get your worries. You know what I mean? Like we're already overpaying defensemen. Mike Green is not a six million dollar defenseman anymore. No. No. Jonathan Erickson should be a seventh defenseman, healthy scratch. Like that dude is a turnstile, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate his fervor. I appreciate his tenacity. He makes a lot of fucking D zone mistakes, and we've seen it. And what really sucks, and you've watched all the games because I have too in the playoffs. A lot of those mistakes come in the playoffs. Uh, he's lost us. We've seen it. We've we've seen it. We've seen it. A lot of Erickson's biggest mistakes come in playoff contests. I get it. Within the context of what percentage you want to spend on your cap on defense versus offense versus goaltending, and then just on your own blue line in itself, I get the contract kind of sucks. I get it. But for what he is as a player, if, if you put him on a, a, man, a reasonably managed team on defense – it's not a bad contract, and he's young, man, and he's a very. And I don't want to compare him to Nick Lidstrom. I'm not doing that. That's not that's not a responsible thing to do. 
but he's a heady player. Nick Lidstrom is the most heady defenseman of all time, agreed? Yeah. Didn't rely on skating ability, didn't rely on checking, didn't rely on passing. Nick Lidstrom is the most heady defenseman of all time, at least for what we've seen in our you know, time of watching hockey. And Danny DeKaiser has a lot of that in his game. He doesn't hit very hard. He's known for his first pass out of the zone. He can move the puck. He's not known for a lot, but he's a very cerebral player. And, dude, that goes a long way on blue lines. Like, dude, Chris Russell is still unsigned. He wants over $4 million a year. He wants a DeKaiser contract. Maybe not for six years, but for like three or four. And Chris Russell can't get the puck out of his own zone, and he blocks way too many shots, which means he's fucking sitting in front of the goalie fucking around. Like, And, and it, for some reason, people think it's a commodity. Why do you think he's still unsigned? Yeah. Why do you think he's still unsigned? And he he at the trade deadline, he was a hot commodity. Why do you think he's still unsigned, man? We're this deep into free agency. There's teams with needs. He's unsigned because he isn't a heady player. And Dan DeKaiser is. And I will pay $5 million a year to a guy that thinks the game that well. And he, I don't care what anybody wants to tell me, he thinks the game that well. He's a very, very smart player. And I understand, like I said, within the context of the wings, it's a bad deal. But what? But if you're, but if you're Ken Holland, what else are you gonna do? I, I mean, I get you can go to arbitration, and it's gonna be a two-year deal worth something. I mean, Ken Holland's been striking out on free agents. Best he could do is bring Brad Richards in on a one-year deal. I mean, he just wanted to lock him up. Well, the 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 free agents thing is is a a very fair point. You know, the the wings have struggled to lure the attractive free agents since their glory days. And, you know, the franchise is diving. You know, the, we talked about the the Red Wings filling up with bad and middling contracts. You know, like I like Ott, but they didn't need him. Helm's a bad contract. Glenn Denning's a bad contract. Erickson, Franzen can't even move. Uh, Brendan Smith is probably on the block. You know, they're still paying for Stephen Weiss. Nielsen and Abdelkader, I love them both. But they're probably on the books for too long for a little bit more than what they're truly worth. And, you know, Vanek's yep. a waste of space. Uh, Cronwall Absolutely. and Green can't live up to their cap hits. Cronwall's career is, you know, very much so winding down. And Green is a fourth defenseman at best and power play specialist. Jimmy Howard, as we just talked about, though good, he has no market value. So, yeah, I I understand that they're they're stuck. I mean, he's Ken Holland is basically, you know, between a rock and a hard place on this. What I will say for DeKaiser is I love the fact that he wants to be there. I love the f- the fact that he loves that team. It's I do Native. think yeah, like a Dylan Larkin, you know? I mean, and I think and like like Justin Ablocator, I think that Ken Holland sees him as, you know, a long-term core piece that, you know, really matters to the team and and the team really matters to them. And that that is important. And I know the analytics guys like to bash the intangibles. The advocator as well as DeKaiser had a little more money thrown into the into the deal based on on that. And you know, your analytics guys aren't gonna aren't gonna like that. I, I think DeKaiser is a top four defenseman. He's still young and he's still growing at the NHL level. I will say that he's never been given much to to work with in terms of pairings. You know, exactly. that's, that's an issue. But to to really dissect the Kaiser, uh, I do think he's a heady player. But, you know, I was, I was looking into some underlying numbers and I used some work by by others um, to, to dig into this a little bit. And the reason I dislike the contract for the number in term is that the Kaiser, for as good as he is, he doesn't 
he doesn't move the needle in in Detroit. You know, a couple of things here. Let's look at one negative and one positive. And these are just, you know, we're just picking very particular things to look at. But his five on five points, primary points per 60 is in the Kevin Bieksa and Matt Carl company. So he's not driving offense. Defensive side of the puck, though, one particular stat, the only defensive stat that makes him look like an elite level defenseman is goals against per 60 relative to his teammates. And his comparables are Hampus Lindholm and Chris Tanev. Like that's a complete opposite end of the spectrum. But a guy that we've talked about at great length leads the NHL in that category, and that's Adam Larson over the last three years. The Kaiser isn't as good as Adam Larson defensively, and he's three old, three years older than him. And we talk about the cap hit, and we talk about the long term. And, you know, we just mentioned Connor Murphy. Like, those are two guys that are paid under $4 million for, you know, like six years. And that's where I think Ken Holland missed out a little bit, is that he's paying him more than those guys who are younger and thus far have proven to be more solid defensively and drive offense a little bit better than he does. And just in that that goals against per 60 narrative, Jakob Kendall ranks fourth. You know, in the last three years, Dude, and, and Detroit I, opted to let him. Based go. on context of who he has to play with, I kind of disagree with that comparison to, to Kaiser and Larson. You know, Larson's been playing with uh, Andy Green. That's DeKaiser a fair point. A guy like that. DeKaiser doesn't have a guy to to play with like that. And DeKaiser is a heady player. They had him playing with Mike Green last year. That's a fair point. Like, and then you say he's not driving possession. It's like, well, what is he supposed to do? Mike Green's supposed to drive possession, not Danny DeKaiser. He's not driving well, offense he, was the main point, but but that's what Green was. Not, yeah, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> offense, driving offense. But uh-huh. yeah, Mike Green. If you're on the ice with Mike Green, he's supposed to drive offense, not you. I, right. Stephen Birch made a really. You might not like this, <laughs> but Stephen Birch on Twitter. I don't like a, anything you say. So. <laughs> made a statement that I kind of I kind of agreed with. What Detroit has done here, whether they had to or not, was they took their best overall defenseman and paid him. As if he were their best overall. I'm sorry, five million dollars is not the best defenseman on your average NHL team. So I disagree with that off the bat. Well, and but Dan DeKaiser is not the best defenseman on most NHL teams either. So, like five million dollars on Detroit's blue line is is a pretty penny when you're talking about Detroit because they don't often overpay individual players like egregiously. Now they've been doing like it with Turner or Mike Green. It seems like they do it to me. Well, Green was a shorter-term commitment that I think that was a case in point where Detroit had so few free agents knocking on their door that they had to throw the money at him. And I don't, I'm not saying I agree with it, but this is where it kind of smells like Dion Phaneuf to me, where you've got a guy like Oof. you've Oof. got a guy like Dan DeKaiser that is mm-hmm. capable of playing those minutes, and he's your number one guy. And so that's what happened in Toronto. You know, it's like. Well, hey, if enough's the guy that can eat up the minutes, he's probably the best guy we got. Let's throw the money at him long term and, and make it stick. And I'm not saying I think the Kaiser's end game is is Dion Phaneuf, but that's kind of how it feels within within the the team perspective and the team scope and how they handle one player. Just because he's your best option on the blue line doesn't necessarily make him of greater value than other players around the league that are younger and have proven, you know, statistically to, to be a little bit better. Fair enough. I mean, fair enough. 
We'll see how it works I out. I, ho- I hope it works out. I, I mean, I, I really mean, love I mean, the Kaiser. I do. If you're asking me, would I have rather the deal been two years less than a million less? <laughs> yeah. Would I rather have been a four? Like, what, what would you have said if it was a four-year four deal for four million? What would you have said then? Feel a lot more comfortable. You know, with it. they overpaid a little bit, but they've been overpaying in a lot of areas recently, and I, I don't think this is the one that'll bite them in the ass. Yeah, I just you know, Eric, I'm not Erickson sure why. Bites in the ass. Franzen bites you in the ass. Mike Green bites you in the ass. Mm-hmm. Darren Helm, Luke Lendenning, all those contract Abdulkader, all those contracts are like, if you look at their analytics, their points, it's all overpayment. Especially Glendenning, Abdulkader. Look, dude, think about that. Three guys on your in your top twelve: Abdulkader, Helm, Glendenning. That's an entire line's worth of players. You're paying entirely too much money. Yeah, and my my fear is that. You know, the Kaiser could end up being that in years four and or five and six of that contract. I don't, I don't compared to those guys. I think that's very unfair to the Kaiser to compare him to those three guys because Advo Advocators paid on on his uh, on his heart and his leadership, and same with Glenn Denning and you know Helm. They should have just let go. I, I was ready to be done with Helm. He's injured every year. They should have just let him go. He's done. He's 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 good to move on. But I think heart and leadership and, and, you know, love of the franchise is one of those things that the Kaiser has in his favor, you know, just, just like Abdulkader. And, yeah, you know, but he's, but he can perform to that level. Like, dude, there's plenty of, like, dude, honestly, if you ask me who do I want on my team, Mike Green or Dan DeKaiser, I want Dan DeKaiser. And Dan DeKaiser's making a, a, a mil less. Like, I, that's, I don't think it's that, it's not that egregious. It's the term that turns you off. But it's per year? No. It's the same with Abby. I think 4.2 is okay for Abdulkader, considering the points he's put up over the last two years, but it's seven-year deal. How about this? He's getting paid more than Shaw. I don't see Abby as much more than Andrew Shaw. Not a lot more. Uh, They play a a similar role. I think Shaw's going to drop off a cliff, like, real soon. And we're going to talk— so could Abby. Yeah. So could Abby. <laughs> yeah. That's my point. You're paying him more than Andrew Shaw, and we, like, dude, we're we were we're gonna get into the Canadians next podcast, and like Shaw's getting grossly overpaid, mm-hmm. and so could Abdulkader. Like Abdulkader's deal is so long that two years from now, Abdulkader could be a fucking third, fourth line player, and we're paying him that much. Yeah. My point being is in context, DeKaiser, he's gonna he's gonna perform closer to the potential of that deal than any of those other four or five contracts on the Red Wings. And that's why I don't fault it. Yep. Fair enough. We'll see, man. Uh, for for certain, there's going to be teams with top pair defensemen getting paid much less for long term because of, you know, some of the, the recent contracts we've seen. Detroit, I don't know what it is. It's it's is. They've got to hit some of these contracts just right. And the more middling contract they sign in in terms of the cap hit for these extended periods of time they're going to limit their options to you know important players like you know Thomas Tatar uh, uh Dylan Larkin you know these are guys that are young and aspiring and, and need to to be signed real soon and these contracts just keep getting longer and longer at that scary middling rate that we've seen other teams fall apart on like Columbus I agree know? I agree. All right, so we got – I'm sure there's more players to talk about, um, but we're going to wrap this up here pretty soon. We got one positive, one negative. What do you want to hit first? <laughs> Vlad Sabatka coming back to the uh, the Blues. I don't know the terms of the money, though. 
It's not done yet. Uh, it the return is imminent from from what people are saying uh, is that he's coming back. Now I've heard this before, so I don't know if it's going to actually happen. But it's not a done deal just yet. It looks like it will be done. I hope it. I hope it happens. I really hated to see Sabatka leave. I, I like him coming back with David Perron because David Perron's a pretty feisty player, and so is Sabatka, and they're both guys that can play offense. Yeah, he's he's not a big point producer. I mean, he he ranked fiftieth in the KHL last season, but I mean, like Peter Regan ranked fourteenth, and in the NHL, he's probably a twenty five thirty five point player. But he does bring that speed, that tenacity, the forecheck and pressure, uh, and I think the Blues could really use him, you know, in their in their bottom six, and he could probably bounce around with that speed. That's one thing that I think maybe they lack. He might he like, might not even be bottom six. They might even use him third second line. Yeah, it could be. Here's one really interesting thing that I, I noticed about Sabaiko when I was looking him up um, in his last season in the NHL. He won a ridiculous amount of faceoffs. He was winning faceoffs at a 61.9% clip, which leads the NHL over the past three seasons. That's over 803 faceoff attempts. And that's limiting, you know, all forwards with over 500 attempts per season. The only guy that comes anywhere close is Patrice Bergeron. It's really not even that close. Like, I don't think he's a dynamo down the middle, like to that extent. But when you've got a guy with that much speed, with that much tenacity that you can plug in, you know, on pretty much any line on the wing and be able to come in and win draws consistently. Like that's a really nice ad for the blues. Yeah. Well, we just talked about off air about uh, Bill Peters talking about uh, making, making a line of all centers and like having, depending situationally, like what's going on in the game, certain guys taking a draw, like Sabatka doesn't have to play center. But if you're in the defensive zone when you absolutely need to take a draw, like he's on the ice. Like on your, if you put him on your second line, he can take a draw in the defensive zone. Yep. And win it. Just because he has that great of a success rate at the draw doesn't mean you have to play him at center. But at key situations, that might happen. Yeah, I you know, I would take Fabry and Sabatka over Brower and Backes at this point. It would be a really nice ad for the Blues if, if they're trying to get this done. And, you know, by all means, they need to. Like now's the time. Now's the time to get this to get this in. So uh, here's hoping. Well, the, the, the thing is, a lot of people, um, you know, because Brower played really well in the playoffs. I mean, David Backus is David Backus, and a lot of people are clowning on the Blues for losing those two guys. But you have to think that by bringing back Perron, bringing back Sabatka, and then the elevation of guys like Ty Ratty, Robbie Fabry, people of that nature, and you still got Tarasenko. Jaden Schwartz, Dimitri Jaskin, they're they're going to be a faster team and that's not going to hurt them. I don't think that's going to hurt them. No, I don't think so either. I think if they would have been able to carry a little more speed, because look, man, their defense was great. Their goaltending was great. They just needed a little more speed and and offense, you know, and Tarasenko's elite. You just got to, you got to find a way to get all the top defenders off of Tarasenko all the time. So last player on the docket, uh, at least for today, is... It's a rough situation. It's it's not good. It's Evander Kane. <laughs> Unfortunately, we need to go there because Kane is... There's no need to go there. Yeah. It's too bad, man. Buffalo gave him a second chance after his meltdown in Winnipeg, and since then there's been a sexual assault case, and now he's been arrested uh, on, a, on a different case. There's multiple, there's multiple charges, multiple incidents. 
And if you read um, that police report, which I found, it's it's really not good. Like <laughs> he's a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, it's it, it is what it is. He's a piece of shit. So we don't. We honestly only need to talk about this for a minute. Well, the only thing that's the only thing that's a talking point is if you're Buffalo, do you trade him now? And there's a whole bunch of talk about how Van, he's from BC, so Vancouver would take him, and Vancouver's desperate because they're fucking awful. It's a horrible like, idea, what? though. You, you don't send him back. I think it was Greg Wyshynski said, you know, you send him back to his to his boys in in BC. Like, could, is that not the absolute wrong environment for Evander Kane? <laughs> I'm not talking. Okay, but you're 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 not you're not understanding my comment. I'm not talking about Evander Kane. I'm not talking about the Canucks. I'm talking about if you're shrewd ass Tim Murray, what do you do? I'm not talking about the perspective of anything else other than Tim Murray. If you're Tim Murray, do you do it? Do you just get him out of your locker room? They've got so many good young players, and they have a great thing going. You really want him hanging around, and even if you got to take a fucking fourth round pick for him. Like, do you, do you do you leave him hanging around, or do you just get him the fuck out? That's the that's the real question we're asking here. If you're Tim Murray, what are you doing? It's a tough one. I mean, you you, you got to move him. You would think you get him out. Get him out. The only I issue that is he's ultra talented. The only issue is, is you know, you, you can't forget what they gave up. You know, it was Kane and Bogosian for Tyler Myers, Drew Stafford, two prospects who ended up being Joel Armia and Brendan Lemieux, who both look like they have NHL potential, and a first-round pick. And Jack yeah, but they got Zach Bogosian back, and Zach Bogosian's done fine for them. He, he's he been okay. He's not yeah, been. but yeah, my, my point being, and he's a leader-type guy, but, like, you got to cut your losses at some point. If you hang your hat on Evander Kane too long, what you got going with Reinhardt, what you got going with Reinhardt and Alex Nylander and Jack Eichel, you could fuck it up. You either move the one piece that's the problem, or you fuck up multiple pieces, and it could easily happen. Hey, easily. I, I, I know a good team that that he could go to without you know there being any off ice distractions. Well, Las Vegas and Tobago. <laughs> Las Vegas, man. Uh, look, Kane was I, yeah, and they could they could leave him <laughs> exposed. They could leave him exposed. But I I I I genuinely like what Tim Murray has done. I yeah. really would hate to see, dude. It's the same fucking thing as Winnipeg. That's why Winnipeg traded him because Winnipeg was a team that was building, and at the time of the deal, Winnipeg wasn't in a great position. They dealt him because it made their team better and it got him out of the locker room. And now look at Winnipeg. How strong is Winnipeg on the on the uh, prospect front and what they're looking? We we talked about them a couple times on the podcast. They're looking real great on offense without Evander Kane. Mm-hmm. They've got some good centers, good speedy, big bodied wingers, which Evander Kane is. But guess who's not in that lineup? Evander Kane. They didn't need him. They made the move when they needed to move. The second he was a problem, he was gone. And what have they done since he was gone? They've built. They could possibly be a contender as soon as next year, depending on how that goaltending shakes out. That defense looks real stout. Like they could be great. They could. They could challenge for a playoff spot and they can make it to the postseason, which would be awesome for that fan base in that that arena. But I don't want to see Tim Murray's goodwill undone by that fuck. I don't want to see that happen. And he, he, he's got to go. He's got to go. I don't care what you get back. Just get him out of there, man. Get him yeah. out. Well, the the obviously the less important aspect to this, but still 
worthy talking point is just how disappointing it is that that Evander Kane has turned into this. I mean, he's top five in points per per sixty, uh, five on five. His goals per sixty ranks him along like right alongside Taylor Hall. Like physically dominant, hits hard. He's he's great. He's a thrill to watch. Like there's so much talent. And the thing about Evander Kane from the first time he stepped into the league, I've never felt like he fully hit his potential. And now we're looking at a player that that might not ever. Like Evander no. Kane's career might be gone. And and there's so much wasted talent there. The important part of this really is that the NHL has to figure it out, I guess on a team by team basis, what's going on with these guys. Um, it doesn't help the league in the face of it that, you know, another guy named Kane had the problems that he did last season. Now I wasn't impressed with how in the same city. I I wasn't impressed with how that was handled at all. Um, although I do have my doubts on Patrick Kane's level in, of involvement or guilt, but I'm not there. I don't know him. I don't know the situation. I I have a feeling like you know Patrick Kane has his faults in terms of his personality. He wasn't found guilty, but. There's an issue. There's definitely an issue, and the NHL needs to get on top of it because these are two incredibly skilled players, like two of the better skilled wingers in the league that the league has has really looked stupid for uh, over the last two seasons in a row. I mean, now Patrick Kane's getting married. Like, are they going to make a big deal out of it in the off season? Like, Patrick I don't, Kane's getting married. Yeah, he's getting married this summer. So, I just you look at it from like a non-NHL fan and you see someone that doesn't know hockey wouldn't be able to differentiate between Patrick Kane and Evander Kane. And now two seasons in a row, you've got these guys' names in the paper and it's all bad news. The NHL has got to get a hold on this. And I hope that Buffalo does a better job at handling this than Chicago did. And I would, I would like to see Evander Kane suspended long-term within the organization and dealt with on a personal level and try to get him on a better life path. And then maybe he can contribute in this league again, maybe even for the Sabres. Because at this point, if you're moving him for a fourth round pick, you might as well just see if, if Vegas takes him in the expansion draft. I mean, the, the guy is ultra talented, uh, but he's he's got a lot of problems that, that he can't get on top of. And I don't really know that... There's a city yeah, or a but, team that but they how, can fix that. But how many chances do you get? How many chances do you get? This was the problem in Winnipeg, and he transferred the problem somewhere else. Buffalo gave him a great opportunity to be a first-line dominant player with good young players, and he fucked it up there. Like, I, I, you know, if we're talking about the move, like, if you're talking about this behavior in Winnipeg, his first stop, the team he was drafted by, I totally get where you're coming from. That maybe we can rehabilitate him. Dude, this is the second time. Yeah, how many chances do you get? Oh, he's definitely out of his chances. Like the the attention needs to be paid to his personal life, like outside of the hockey industry. Like he needs to be taken out and and worked on. Like he needs he's got some some personal life issues that need to be tended to. Um, I'm not saying it's Buffalo's responsibility, and I'm not saying that they they owe him that that work. But for Kane's sake and for the league's sake, like you don't want to see a young guy like that lead that kind of life and just you know constantly get himself involved in some terrible ass shit. You know, he's, he's got to fix it for himself, of course, but it is Buffalo's problem in terms of his cap hit and his roster position. I mean, that's a player that they really banked on having uh long-term, you know, probably on the top line. 
and he's probably gone. If I'm Tim Murray, I, I make it happen. Well, I'm imagine just, imagine wouldn't. if Patrick Kane had been arrested and charged. Like you're you're talking about the league's leading points getter last season. Yeah, I mean, but Evander Kane isn't Patrick Kane. No, and I'm I'm not saying that he isn't. Honestly, I'm not saying that he isn't. Like when I talk to people about music, I like you know classic rock and and things like that. Um, or or athletes, whatever the sport, whether it be hockey or soccer or Formula One, I don't invest too much into their personal lives and their personalities. I don't pay much attention to it because I know that there's a, a vast majority of the players that I appreciate on the ice or the drivers that I appreciate on the track, I wouldn't like a single thing about them. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of shitheads out there. And yeah, uh, I got you. But this this really takes it way too far um a lot of the rock and roll guys that i like they were complete assholes and i hear stories and it's like yeah well you know i'll still listen to the music i'm not going to invest into who they are because they they would never be able to, to live up to who i am or the people that i choose to surround myself with but it's it's a big deal man it's a really big deal because buffalo's going places and they've got a lot of young talent and you know if if evander kane wasn't an asshole yeah you're right man the Sabres would be on a better path, but why don't you ask Dean Lombardi about Mike Richards and waiting too long to deal with the problem? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you, you can't have a, a, a league with a bunch of guys, as many guys that encompass the NHL and the minors, and you just can't have that many people making that much money that are all going to make good decisions. So, unfortunately, this is a part of it, and... Unfortunately, it's a blemish on the NHL and its public persona. Um, but as long as the league and the Sabres organization handle it properly, then it's something that can be overcome from all from all points of view, regardless of what Evander Kane decides to do with his own life. It's only going to be bad for the league and the Sabres if they don't handle this right. So the, the next move is, is pivotal. Um, yep. Kind of sucks to end on that note, but we probably ought to wrap it up for today. I know we had a couple other players that we wanted to, to touch on, um, but we'll get there. And next time we'll be talking uh, Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, yeah. We've been doing these team previews. Um, we've been doing our best to give you an episode that's not team-related between every team preview because that might not be some people's cup of tea, and we totally get that. And we want we want to stay relevant with what's, with what's going on, too. And, you know, we, we might not get to every team before the start of the season. Actually, I can guarantee you we won't. Um, but we'll be talking about teams throughout the season. And we will be having a team-centric pod for each team, just when and how that happens. Uh, we'll find out. Yeah. But yeah, the, Mont- the Montreal Canadiens are on the docket for the next podcast, and that's what I'm really looking forward to. Me too. You know, I view it less as a preview and more as, you know, a uh, a deep dive into the team in its current state. And that changes yeah, fair enough. Fair that enough. changes throughout the offseason. And, you know, what'll be interesting too is the teams that we haven't touched on yet that trail into the start of the season. It'll be interesting to to take a look and you know, see what they're doing at that point in time, actually playing real hockey. Uh but the, the teams that are making big, bold moves, you know, with signings and letting people go and trading players away. I mean Montreal kind of eats up all of those narratives. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk about that one too. And on my trip, I had plenty of time to think about it uh, while I was driving for, you know, probably a collective 55 hours. But uh, 
yeah, we'll get into that next time. For, for sure, sure, man. And that should actually probably should happen here pretty quick. So <clears throat> it was good to get back doing this after a little hiatus. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Peace, Kendall.